Welcome to the Flight Safety Detectives. Hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation safety experts, talk all things related to aviation and aerospace. This podcast and the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel are brought to you by the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, PAMA, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance and your one-stop for all general aviation insurance needs. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Tell them you're a listener of the show and receive a 5% discount. Now it's time to buckle up because it's wheels up for the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Well, hello, gentlemen. It is another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. I'm glad to see that both of you are in place with smiles on your face, even though I know, Todd, you're shoveling snow, and I know that John is down there shoveling sand. Uh, you know, it just it, it is just wrong. I think John should be up shoveling snow, and Todd, you should be shoveling sand. You're here. I'm suffering in a hangar that's quite warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're suffering. Okay, John, I can see that. I can see it in your eyes. I can just feel that agony as it comes through this Zoom broadcast. So it's, it's tough, tough life for you. So, so how you guys doing? How you doing, Todd? Well, other than the traveling part, doing just fine. And, uh, and I would say enjoying uh, what's going on in the world, because as we speak, there's a all sorts of consternation over in Ukraine, which is not the subject of today, but let's hope that doesn't have any indirect or direct effect on aviation, civil aviation, that is. And we've seen that in the past when, uh, when we had some issues with uh, the failure or at least the delay in closing the airspace over a war zone like that. And we saw a lot of issues develop. A lot of uh, the countries now have shut down that uh, overflight. So Hopefully that won't affect any kind of civilian operations. John, how you doing? I saw a picture uh, yesterday afternoon of uh, you know flight aware with all the flights all where all the airplanes are. Yeah, and it's just loaded with airplanes over there, except over the Ukraine. There's a great big white area on the map where there was no airplanes flying. So and right now, even uh, Belarus and uh, far western Russia near uh, near Ukraine devoid of civilian traffic. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, talking about airplanes and of course uh, the, the safety concerns in the airspace, I'll tell you the month of February has just been a busy month for general aviation accidents. Uh, we've talked about it on, on prior shows and the fact that general aviation accidents uh, are on the uptick. And a lot of these accidents this, this month of February are, have been fatal. And, um, and it's, it's a, a real concern. And as we're uh, recording this show right now, uh, there was a beach bonanza that crashed in Bucks County in Pennsylvania, north of Philadelphia, uh, too fatal. The airplane apparently came out of the sky for unknown reasons at this point since uh, the accident just happened. But a lot of ring doorbell video caught the tail end of, uh, of the accident flight and the airplane crashed in a relatively flat attitude 
in an intersection in a uh, you know very congested neighborhood exploded and burned a lot of witnesses who have been interviewed by the media um, have described the airplane as the engine of course as they always do the engine quit or stopped running or sputtered and then on top of that uh, one woman described the airplane as spiraling and somersaulting which uh, we know as investigators that didn't happen. Part of that statement may be true about the spiraling, but not the somersaulting. And so, uh, you know, that one is going to be the airplane burned. So, of course, anytime you have burned wreckage, it makes the investigation process harder for investigators because some key evidence may have been consumed by that post-crash fire. And then several days prior to this accident, there was a beach baron taking off out of Lexington, um, North Carolina, and shortly after rotation and during the initial climb, apparently the pilot had a problem with one or both engines, tried to put the airplane down on a uh, interstate highway right off the end of the runway, unfortunately struck a tractor trailer truck and, uh, and was killed. And when you look at that particular accident, you have to start asking yourself, one, about pilot qualifications and experience. Um, the airplane crashed less than a quarter of a mile off the end of the runway. And if the pilot did have a problem with one engine, then the question is, why couldn't he keep that airplane flying on one engine since the airplane is certified technically to fly on one engine? Uh, he was uh, by himself, um, even with a full uh, load of fuel, the airplane isn't that heavy, so it should have been able to fly. So now you get into uh, questioning procedures. Did he get the airplane cleaned up? Was he able to keep his blue line or single engine speed? Things like that. So that one's going to be, I think, more operationally oriented, even though if there was an engine failure or a dual loss of power, of course, you want to know what's going on there. So, um, you know, again, this has been a real busy month for general aviation accidents. And unfortunately, it's going to give us more things to talk about on this show and hopefully the lessons learned so that we can promote some aviation safety. Well, it goes right back to what I've been saying now for longer than I uh, would have liked to have been saying it, is that, you know, we're coming out into this season where we're flying more and more, coming off uh, almost two years of a pandemic where there's been a reduction in flying and, you know, skills get rusty. Uh, a lot of it, uh, the mental piece of flying, where you're flying in front of the airplane instead of behind it, uh, those skills may be getting rusty as well. Uh, it's just, uh, it, I wish people would heed my plea that if you haven't flown, fly with somebody who has, get those skills back before you uh, attempt to go off in the wild blue all by yourself because it, uh, if you've been laying off, it's a, it's a, those skills are perishable. And, 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 and we see that, right, we see that yeah. really with the Malibu. And uh, you know, I've said it on this show a few times, uh, the doctor killer, it's actually a doctor and lawyer killer because <laughs> these people have come up, they probably either had a love for flying or flew before and they wanna get back into it. And now they have the resources to buy a nice high performance airplane, goes fast, can go high because it's pressurized and off they go with their Malibu and they fly once a month 
Well, in that airplane, once a month's not enough. Because your skills get rusty. It's it's too much of a high performance airplane. And if you're not into it mentally, you're flying from the tail of the airplane, not the cockpit. And mm-hmm. it's only a matter of time before you get in over your head and you're going to be a statistic. So, yeah. I mean, part of the pre-planning is, am I ready to take this flight? Yeah. Right? Am I mentally prepared and physically capable of taking this flight? And, you know, we don't do that as a whole. And one of the things about flying into the wild blue yonder, Todd, you're getting back into flying. So yes, indeed. Uh, How's it going right now? How you feeling? Are you getting more comfortable? And the bigger takeaway is, are you learning anything from being on the show every week with us and taking it into your own personal flying? Well, let me first blame the show for getting back into <laughs> flying because as you know, for, for decades, really, I've been talking about aviation safety, but my background was primarily with, with airliners. I'd been at Boeing for a while uh, back in the 90s and 2000s. And the issues I dealt with were with large jet aviation and the kinds of things that were happening, let's say in the 1990s, you had the rise of glass cockpits, all sorts of issues with crew resource management, which were coming to the forefront then. Well, fast forward to now, many of the things we're talking about now are talking about the very same kind of technologies that used to be in airliners only 30 years ago. Now it's in general aviation. So many of the issues that I tried to understand from the perspective of an airline context where you have two professional pilots. Now we have that level of sophistication and beyond with general aviation pilots. And just the issues that we talk about over and over again, people over relying on automation, uh, folks being lured into a false sense of security because of that automation and not following procedures, not doing a pre-flight, not doing checklists. So I thought to myself, if I'm gonna talk with any kind of authority about this, I should have a little skin in the game. And uh, having not had a current medical since the 1980s, yes, I'll admit it, it's like a Rip Van Winkle situation. I'm learning how to fly in the 21st century. And that means the level of information that's at everyone's fingertips, orders of magnitude greater and better than what it was 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, From getting publications to getting uh, up-to-date weather information, from around the country or the world, depending on what you're into. Yeah. I live in Massachusetts. And even thinking about things as simple as, okay, what about weather in this part of the country? Well, Canada is not that far away from here. So I'm getting used to the resources of the US government and the Canadian government trying to get an overall picture of, let's say, weather in this region. So how are you I feeling with flying? On, but I'm not going to. How are you feeling with actually flying the airplane? What are you flying right now? Uh, primarily uh, the, with an instructor with a Cessna 172. And, uh, you know, being with the instructor a few times, that's uh, getting more comfortable with the actual Did, airplane. Are you on steam gauges or do you have a G1000 in that airplane? Uh, starting with steam gauges, the intent is to go over to the G1000 once I get reacquainted with steam gauges. Well, good. And uh, part of it is with the real airplanes. Part of it is also with simulators. Uh, not just your official air training devices that I can log time in, but something as straightforward as X-Plane, which if you work it hard enough and actually understand what it is it can do for you, it's helpful for getting used to basic procedures, getting used to how things work in certain situations and running scenarios. 
And John and I have talked about this on the show. My philosophy has always been that I think, you know, pilots should really get a good fundamental understanding flying steam gauges because it forces you to build these mental models. One of the biggest drawbacks, one of the biggest deficiencies that pilots have, especially those that learn, you know, having that pretty picture in front of them on a G1000 or an Avidyne or whatever, um, is the fact that when all of it goes blank, they can't build that mental model. And it is so important that you can visualize in space your orientation with regard to where you want to go, what you need to do, and, and things like that. And when all you have is needles and dials and, and numbers, um, it, it forces you to visualize that. And a lot of pilots, especially a lot of the pilots where the work is already being done for them in that visual presentation on a glass cockpit display, um, it, it really creates a situational disorientation for that pilot when all of that stuff is no longer available. I got a lot of friends of mine that are DPEs and one of the biggest issues on their check rides, especially with private pilots or transitioning pilots to instrument ratings is the fact that when they turn all of that pretty stuff off, all that glass cockpit display and they want these pilots to fly raw data, these pilots have no idea where the hell they are what they're doing and what they should be doing. So uh, I applaud you for getting back and getting reacquainted with, uh, with the steam gauge. Now, in John's case, he, I mean, you know, that was just, <laughs> it wasn't even fly by wire. It was fly by body. Him and the Wright brothers were flying side by side. So he never had any gauges to look at. Yeah, I learned with this basic six pack, you know, and it does, it does force you to the page. Was that a basic six pack of beer? Or? <laughs> yeah, Budweiser. <laughs> six pack of Bud. And it does it does force you to pay attention to everything because it's it's not a lot of information. So you 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 understand where you are, and you know what? Mechanics and pilots have a few things in common, not just aviation, but in order to be good. Both, both those groups need to use all their senses. So it's not only sight, it's sound. Yeah. Okay, a mechanic taste sometimes, touch. I was, now John, you brought that up. I was wondering why there are times when there's, a, it's like, what's John talking about? Were you tasting a little too much of Jet A to see if it was actually Jet A? I mean, really? Yeah, on gasoline. You know, it's not uncommon to see a mechanic dump his finger in, the, you know, just barely touch a fluid and bring it up and give it a sniff and maybe give it a taste. Oh, my gasoline, God. That but that you got to remember, if it's blue, you don't want to do that. Yeah, well, right? that answers a lot of questions I've always had about you, John. <laughs> but it is important. It is important to use all your senses yeah. uh, in both of those jobs, in piloting and in maintenance. Well, I know that both of keep you alive. Yeah. Well, I know that both of you keep up with uh, current events as I do. I mean, there's always something going on every single day. And, um, and you and I, John, have uh, dissected the Lion Air accident on our show. We've talked about it uh, periodically with Todd over the last year and a half with regard to all the issues going on with the 737 MAX and, and Boeing and the FAA and the Love-In supposedly and all this other nonsense. Well, there was a recent Netflix show 
called Downfall, which really chronicalized uh, what, uh, what is perceived as the downfall of Boeing um, over you know, issues that had developed prior to, but really were um, brought to light through the 737 MAX accidents and, um, and then the, the public hearings by Congress and identifying issues between Boeing and the FAA and things like that. Now, I had an opportunity to watch it. I know you did too, John. And I was very disappointed. And I mean, it, the whole first half of that show where they, they look at both the Lion Air accident and the Ethiopian accident, it was such an emotionally based show that they failed to characterize all the facts, conditions, and circumstances of each of those events properly, like you and I did with the Lion Air accident. They cherry-picked some factoids and then built a very emotional story around it. They had some talking heads who, um, of course, went in there and provided color commentary. And the thing that really was disappointing, and, and it's not just me, I know you saw it too, and I've gotten a lot of emails from friends of ours in our circle who are very well-trained investigators going, what the hell is a, a guy uh, like this talking head who we will talk about because we're going to actually dissect this show in a future show of ours in depth. But when you have a talking head who is supposedly, you know, a career airline pilot who tries to describe that an angle of attack indicator measures the pitch attitude of the nose of the airplane, you know you have some serious issues. That's what an attitude indicator in the airplane does, not an AOA indicator. And, and to have that kind of misinformation coming from a so-called expert, I think just presents to the public misinformation, misrepresents it. And of course, the, the facts that they talked about with both Lion Air and Ethiopia were so cherry-picked to, to make both those flight crews look like victims. When, if you really look at the facts, conditions, and circumstances, they victimized themselves by their inadequate or deficient performance. Now, I'd like to mention something for the audience out there. All three of us have done shows like this multiple times. And when you have the luxury of time, we prepare for talking about a particular event. Uh, at least personally, I feel a certain level of responsibility in that I'm there to provide useful information to the audience. So if I'm going to say something about a system, about an investigation or whatever, I'm going to not exactly go without any kind of emotion because after all, this is a, a commercial enterprise that we have to inform the public and keep their attention. But I'm not going to do that to sacrifice, you know, facts and data. And just to give you a very brief idea, we can do a whole show on this. Even thinking about how to describe something, I like to think in sound bites. It might be only eight seconds long. But if it's going to be something that's a complex thing, I'm going to talk about it for 30 seconds. That's four sound bites. Yeah. I have to work like an hour per sound bite because I don't know which one of those is going to be taken out and replayed. I don't know which one of those will stick with somebody. But whatever I say, I wanted to have impact and something I can stand behind years later. Oh, absolutely, Todd. And that's that's the way, you know, those of us who spend a lot of time in front of a camera or doing interviews. You have to think that way. You have to think in 30 second sound bites because they will chop that 30 second sound bite up and use just little bits and pieces of it as it applies to a particular story. So you wanna make sure that no matter how they use it, 
the context always stays the same so that people can't go, well, hey, Greg said this or whatever, when in fact, that's not what I meant by that soundbite because they had taken just a factoid or a piece of it instead of keeping it in context. By the what way, I, I have the set of procedures and checklists for making sound bites. If you're interested, I'd be happy to share it with you. Great. Uh, what I found offensive with the show is in fact that cherry picking, you know, because uh, A, Boeing's got some dirty hands here, right? There's no question that some things yeah. that, would, that Boeing did uh, were not proper. Yes. But one of the things that Boeing always has done is assume that the guy that's in the cockpit knows how to fly. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that the airplane he's given is airworthy. And we talked about this before. My brothers, the maintenance people in Indonesia, delivered to this, up to multiple pilots, an airplane that should not have been flying. For about 30 days, they gave this airplane, uh, they gave these pilots a piece of trash. Yep. Never it was mentioned a brand a word new airplane. Yeah. Right. Never mentioned a word about that in this. So it was cherry picked to prove or uh, to make the point that they tried to make in the second half of the program, yep. which is Boeing's deficiencies. But they clearly did not cover the deficiencies in flight training. And I tell people all the time that ask me about the MAX, right? There's a reason why in the US and in Western Europe, there were no problems with flying that airplane. Yep. And it's got to do with the training program. And nobody, nobody has taken the time to take a look, at least out in the open, uh, at the differences between the training given in the United States and Europe, in other places as well, and the, uh, the Far East and Asia and South Asia and so on, to see what the differences were that led to these accidents. Because I'll guarantee you there's differences. Oh, absolutely, and, John. Absolutely. And you know what? The other thing that I that I, I actually laughed over. All right, so they quote the, this captain having eight thousand hours of, of time in one of these accidents. All right, and we know already because it's been reported openly that in that in certain parts of the world, if you fly in the cockpit as an observer, as sitting in it, as a commuter, as pilots often do, that counts as your flight time. That's what they're yeah. doing, yes. And I look at that saying, holy, uh, yeah, <laughs> holy something. Uh, you know, I got about two or 300 hours in DC 9s and 737s. Yeah. Uh, because I flew in the cockpit years and years and years. When I worked for, for US Air, I mean, I flew in the, in the, oh, geez, almost forever. Everywhere I went, I went in the cockpit because I loved it. Yeah. So if there was a seat open in the cockpit, I took it. I had the ability to fly in the cockpit in those in those periods of time. In fact, I actually commuted to California for a year, and almost every flight was in the cockpit. Well, you know, those are facts that were conveniently left out that have a, a very important role in the entire context of the sequence of events that led to this accident. And of course, when we're talking about accidents like this, and of course, uh, what this show brought out was the relationship between Boeing and the FAA. We now have an issue that is developed because the current administrator, Steve Dixon, is now leaving the FAA uh, at the end of March. I mean, this was a very sudden resignation. Um, this wasn't a retirement, this was a resignation. And it's very curious because of course, 
He came in in the midst of the 737 MAX issues. There have been additional uh, events that have taken place, especially with the mask mandate that the FAA, <laughs> they didn't create it. TSA created the mask mandate. The FAA is responsible for basically enforcing it. So he's got that on his plate. And now, of course, the 5G issue that came up within this last month, all of this was dumped on him. He was trying to take the tactful way and address each one of these things as best he could. And it's really curious, John and Todd, why Dixon is all of a sudden leaving, especially on the heels of 5G. Uh, I can't imagine that he wants to spend more time with his family, which I'm sure he does, but I can't see that as the basis. And it's very curious, the timing right after 5G, when you have those kinds of money machines out there pushing on you know, the administration, whether or not that may have been the basis for, uh, for him making a decision to leave, especially in the midst of all of these things, since Boeing is now going to be overseen pretty much full time as far as certification by the FAA, which is going to require to have uh, the FAA to have a lot of people in their facilities. And it's very, very curious. Well, the, undertone, the undertones that I picked up uh, through this kind of departure, and we've seen that comes up from time to time, is usually uh, wasn't self-induced. So I hope that's not the case, but it has all the indications are that uh, he was pushed out. And that's, that's uh, unfortunate because he was uh, putting the effort and his knowledge behind uh, finally making the FAA uh, a more effective than it has been. Yeah. And now that opens the door to where do we go from here? And just yesterday, I saw the rumor mill cranking in DC as it always does about some possible replacements. And uh, I think that it's time for the FAA to have a real administrator and not somebody uh, from the industry as such as, you know, pilots or, or others, yeah. uh, but real administrators to get the, the administration of that bureaucracy in order uh, and bring the accountability back to the different elements of the FAA because it's like a huge octopus. You know, octopus only has eight arms. The FAA probably has 50 arms. And and as you go down from there, they even get additional. So it's uh, important that we have a good administrator. And to that end, I saw two names on the on the, the rumor list for consideration, the FAA, Debbie, Debbie Herzman, former NTSB, who I watched very well. She replaced me in uh, my term at the NTSB. And the other name that popped up uh, is Brad Mims. And he's currently in the number two with the FAA, but also he brings with them uh, a wealth of experience from the Department of Transportation in a number of jobs. And I think that either one of those two uh, would be a good replacement to bring back management to the uh, FAA. Yeah, because that position needs more than just a figurehead or somebody that had a claim to fame um, like someone we all know that I've beat up in the past and I will continue to beat up if he ends up becoming the administrator. Um, you need somebody with that executive style um, uh, experience who, like you said, John, can get their arms wrapped around the entire organization because right now uh, they're still working under COVID. 
And the problem is, is you have inspectors out in the field that have been working out of their house for the last two years. They have not gone into the office. They have not done their job. They have used COVID as a convenient excuse. The oversight has, has slacked off. Of course, their response, I got a friend of mine who is a, uh, is a POI and um, he's out there doing all sorts of check rides all over the country. And I keep asking him, why are you out here? You're, on, you're based out of the East Coast because the other guys in his office aren't doing check rides. They, you know, this, this COVID thing has become a convenient excuse. Oversight has become a, um, a, or a lack thereof for oversight has become a convenient excuse. Well, we can't go out. We don't have the money. We don't have the budget. We don't have this. So all of a sudden now, you're going to have not only the FAA in turmoil with regard to its operational processes and its responsibilities and fulfilling them, but now you're going to have a vacancy at the top spot and, you know, chaos will ensue. And so whoever comes in there is going to be thrown into the fire pit to try and organize some of this chaos. And they're going to spend all of their time, time really trying to get that back under control um, which could really circumvent their, their real purpose and mission as the administrator of the FAA. Now, our discussion here today about this, I hope is a harbinger of the future in that if there are going to be discussions, especially if there are congressional hearings and such, that it's over policy issues, not political ones. Yes. And so far, I see nothing that shows this to be anything like a political issue. But there are certainly policy issues. 5G is one of them, and there are several others. And I hope that is uh, the kind of thing that's aired during open hearings. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, it's always good to see you uh, on uh, an episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Um, we, you know, we want to uh, get back to dissecting some more accidents in the future, which we, we have selected a few. And, um, and so we're going to be gearing up for that. And John, you and I are going to be tearing apart the uh, Ethiopian 737 MAX accident uh, since we know that uh, the Ethiopians are not going to put out a final final. So uh, uh, as previously discussed, we're going to take our time and dissect that report like we did with Lion Air and point out all of the, all of the things that are buried in that report that really form the basis for, um, for that particular accident. And then, of course, um, we're also going to dissect this uh, unruly passenger issue because um, we are going to have, like I said before, uh, we're going to have uh, a friend of our show, uh, Dr. Joe Kravitz on, and we're really going to get into how masks relate to the unruly passenger events that have taken place over the last two plus years. So uh, these shows are coming up. We want you uh, as the viewers and listeners to, uh, to definitely stay with us because those are going to be very, very interesting shows, as with all of our shows. And our discussions are always entertaining and, and of course, informative. So, you know, Greg, I, Greg, I was looking through some of the comments, the emails, and I've actually got a few phone calls. And, you know, we started this show once a month. And it only took a couple of shows before we needed to go to biweekly. And now we're doing them weekly. And you know what? We could do them two or three a week. Yeah. with all the issues that are out there and all the information that, that uh, we try to give to the, the aviation community. It's yeah. really, it's really been growing exponentially and uh, it's, it's hard to keep up with all the, the information flow. But, and, but it's our listeners and viewers 
that continue to support us and ask us, hey, we want to hear more about this. We want you to do this. What do you think about this? And that's what keeps us going with this show. And we will expand it. We try to make it better. Um, a lot of things that we do change from week to week because we're kind of beta testing and getting a flavor for what, uh, what works and what doesn't work. And so we appreciate the feedback because that's what dictates how we conduct this show and the things that we talk on this show. So with that, because we wanted to compress our shows um, uh, based on the feedback and try and keep them short or shorter so that uh, you know, we're hard hitting, I'm going to turn to you, Todd, and give you the second to the last word before I turn it over to the master. Well, as you just mentioned, there are issues all over the place. We can do this every day. And I don't want to do this every day, but I will say this. Please keep watching. Please keep giving us advice. We have to get better at what we're doing here because the issues are too important to just uh, mail this in. And John, as and always, I will as leave always. you with the last word. And I and just looking at the accidents that over the last couple of days that, that are out there on the web, the, the message is not getting through. If you're going to go flying, do a good pre-planning session, including what I said earlier on this show. You know, am I fit to fly? You know, take a good assessment of yourself before you even start the process. And then when you go through the process at home, and then again at the airport, make sure that you've got not just the weather from where you're leaving and where you're going, but in between. And if the weather goes bad this time of year, in between, where are you going to go? Play to what if, you know, what if I lose an engine on takeoff? We had an accident like that just a, a couple of days ago. All right. What am I going to do? You got to think about this in advance. That's all the pre-planning for flight. When you go out to your airplane, do a good walk around. If you haven't done one in a while, if you're not sure of your skill level to do it, get a mechanic to go out with you and, and uh, one that's familiar with the airplane to tell you what to look for. Right? Touch your airplane, move your flight controls. Right? It's, it's, uh, that's the tactical, uh, tactic feel of your airplane. You can tell if a bearing's going bad on a, a, on a flight control. Uh, mechanics do it all the time. Pilots can do it. All they have to do is understand what, they, what they're looking at and feeling. Right? So all of those things keep you alive. And we don't want to keep killing our pilots. We want them to fly forever. I mean, I just read where somebody 91 years old is still flying. So it's, it's uh, important that you understand the condition of your airplane before you get in. And when you do finally fly and get in the air, please pay attention. Don't, you know, it's not routine. You got to keep that head on a swivel, looking every which way, listening on the radio, and please fly safely. To listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at FlightSafetyDetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at avemco.com or give them a call at 888 879-0389. Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount.
Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives, and remember to always fly safe.